0: You're listening to the Carrero Podcast. This is Malia Hoffman, and I'm here with Fred Ramirez. We would like to introduce you to our new journal website. It's called CarreroJournal.org, spelled K-O-R-E-R-O Journal.org. And you can go there and see that we are making a call for articles and papers. And what we'd like to do is invite you as educators or researchers or even your students to write up and contribute to our online journal. And you can see the submission guidelines there. And also I would like to point you to our edXglobal.org website. And there you can see all of the great projects that our students are working on and our initiatives globally. And you can also make a donation through Venmo PayPal with your credit card and get a tax exempt ID. So, again, edXglobal.org to see what our students and we are up to globally, and Carrero Journal to see our new online journal initiative. Thank you so much. Today, our guest is Anthony Solorzano. Anthony is an independent filmmaker whose film debut, Varsity Punks, was a homegrown project shot in El Monte, California. Recently, he has expanded his visual storytelling skills by directing music videos, commercials, and short documentaries. His style likes to push on cultural boundaries by celebrating the underrepresented subcultures of society, especially of those where he grew up, the San Gabriel Valley. Anthony, thanks so much for joining us today. When did you know you wanted to direct and produce films?
1: I knew it when I found out that you could even do that as a living. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Like I didn't know as a teenager, it just, it wasn't an option in my head. I think it's a neighbor. It's it becomes like a demographic thing, you know. Like, really? like you don't you don't know what kind of careers are accessible to you, you know. Um, so I remember, you know, when you have to do projects, like, what do you want to be when you grow up? Um, I I remember doing one on architect or lawyer, things that like in your head you envision are are uh, like elite type of career presentation assignment. I try to do a little video, a little skit, a little play, just a creative way to present it. So. Yeah. So, so, yeah. So then you were, that, you
2: were that high school kid in which, which t- teachers who were bound by essays
1: and all that stuff, they're like, no, no, you have to do this. You're like, no, no, I want to do this. Yeah, I definitely tried to go um, a little extra, just, just finding creative ways to, to tell content, right? You know, let's say you got to do a presentation on World War II and, you know, you, you have uh, your boards, right, and pictures and stuff. And so I just try to think outside of the box, like how else can we tell this story and incorporate music and video and stuff like that? And that was just natural to me. It was always natural to me, I think. That's really cool. So was there like a particular film or films or
2: directors that, you know, once you you really started to think about it, that
1: kind of motivated you more in order to be a cinematographer? Definitely. I think once, so I went to USC film school and once I went there, my mindset changed in terms of how I saw movies, because you know, before that, you just saw them as kids, like police academies and Back <laughs> to the Futures, <laughs> um, Terminators. Like that's what I grew up with, and I loved cinema. So the love for cinema was there, right? Okay, I was, I was, I was thinking some of the classics, not like. Police Academy. Those are no. classics. I <laughs> mean, they're classics as a kid, right? As in, oh, so yeah. that's the thing. Like, yes, I did Godfather. Like <laughs> but, like, let's say a 12 year old, is a 12 or 13 year old going to say, like, oh, I love Godfather too? Like, you know, you need a more refined palette. Oh, you, you were that 12 year old. I was that kid. You you were a prodigy, a yeah. film connoisseur. <laughs> but, but, uh, but, yeah, just like regular stuff that was on TV, right? There's no access to foreign films um, we didn't have cable whatever was playing on channel 9 and channel 11 over and over again that's what that's what you grew up with so that was my upbringing and then and then film school you definitely start digging and you're exposed to to world cinema and um, at the time Wes Anderson and Paul Thomas Anderson were were two big influences uh, who are very very uh, active even today. Um, Paul Thomas Anderson at the time he did Boogie Nights and Magnolia, yeah, uh, that's when I was entering college and I just again I I just changed on how I was seeing cinema. Uh, Wes Anderson had done Rushmore, The Royal Tenenbaums, and I'm like, whoa! Like the style of it, the the way um, they imprint their their style uh-huh. uh, as a person, as an individual into storytelling, uh, fascinated me. So, and Tarantino, of course, he's he's a great. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh. Well, see, and, and that's, I think that's,
2: that's one of the things that have always fascinated me about, about artists um, is, is that ability to look at something, but looking at it in, looking at it in ways that maybe, and, and I hate this term, like the common person wouldn't, wouldn't think about. Um, and so, and so what were, what were some of the things that they were doing that, that made you think I could, I could do that, but. I like this part of it. Um, and so can you explain that for those of us that are novices?
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, let me see. So, like, I think, um, for example, let's say Boogie Nights. And it, he took a taboo uh, industry, right, the porn industry. <laughs> yeah. and, but he told, a like, a rise and fall story of this kid. And it just resonated in a way that, like, Maybe a sports story would have resonated, you know. And it was a family story in a way. Like he found this other dysfunctional family in this porn industry. People. So the way that he took something taboo and put it in something that was very familiar to to us, like we don't need to be know about porn or like it to 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 find this movie interesting. I like that he he took something um, uh, familiar and he and he threw something else in that that was unexpected. So things like that. Uh, with Wes Anderson, um, I mean, just creating moments to be able to. I think for me, the, my favorite part of cinema is to be able to create a moment where you connect emotionally, more so, more so than intellectually. Um, oh. yeah, like um, we're we're more driven, I think, to connect emotionally. Like intellectually, I mean, then that it becomes didactic, didactic. Where like you don't want to go somewhere and be preached at or have to learn something. Like you want to go and be entertained, but if you learned in the process, then that's cool. It's like, it's part of the subtext, um, like the the learning part of it, of cinema, I think. That's um, fantastic. So, so yeah, I, I just, I like that about, oh, the, like another thing with Paul Thomas Anderson is he was local. He shot everything in the valley, San Fernando Valley. Oh, really? Yeah. At least his early stuff. And now he's doing, uh, he's coming back to it. But so he grew up in San Fernando Valley, so all the streets and the diners and people were like, oh, dude, this is all in the valley. <laughs> and I'm from the San Gabriel Valley where i have kind of become this little local like not uh just like a i'm trying to champion the cause of sgv storytelling so i kind of found a connection there too where where you can you you know you don't see your the place that you live in in cinema necessarily you know especially la like la in movies is like a sometimes it's like a weird fictional place like where what is this place that's not the la that i know right so so you want to you want to expand it and show your perspective in cinema
0: how much of varsity punks can be a biography about yourself
1: (laughs) just just the world really Mm -hmm. um the story the plot and the characters are uh, we're all created um based out of my experiences right like as in i could say there's a part of me in each character the main character is a part of me the football player even is a part of me. They're they're all a part of me, and they're all also not a part of me. And maybe people that I met, um, but like the plot and the situation, like I, we never had a football player join the cross country team. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, that, that would be taboo. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. So I just knew the world. I knew the world well, cross country and my like training, and so I was able to create a uh, a story within that. So so it was it wasn't necessarily biographical, but I okay. didn't know that world and I knew those people. I knew the people, all the people that I created. I, I felt like they were real, you know, um, in, in that sense. So then, um,
2: so then, talk about your high school years, be, be, you know, because of yeah, you know, I've been I've been following you on Instagram for for all these years. After I was told, "Hey, Dad, there's this guy that wants to come over," and I'm like, "Who is this guy? <laughs> like, what? <laughs> Who is this guy?" <laughs> you know, and and you and and I'm I'm very so, talk about your high school years and, okay. and how that has how you know how that has contributed to what you do in in the okay. in that creative process.
1: Um, well, I was definitely like a, kind of a schoolboy nerdy. I was a nerdy jock. I love oh. sports, but not football, not basketball, not baseball. Yeah. I read, I did the uncool or the least popular sports. Cross country, wrestling, and track. Um, so, in a sense, I I felt like an athlete. I mean, I was an athlete. I functioned like an athlete, right? But I didn't share the same things as that group of jocks sitting over there who were very almost like stereo, a little cliche, just like in move like jock jock movies, right? Um, like in varsity and, punks. Like in varsity punks, and that's where the term came from. Varsity punk. It's like not a varsity athlete, not a varsity jock. Varsity punk. It's an alternative to the um, stereotypical athlete so there's the mainstream athlete there's like ESPN and all this stuff this is like the alternative of ESPN you know what I mean so so yeah so I was a I I did good in school I was a good like student and then I did my sports for four years I was very dedicated dedicated to where like I was just a good um I mean I had discipline right It, it takes discipline to like stick with these things for four years and and um uh you know, it makes you stronger. These were sports that are, I think, I think are some of the most difficult sports running and wrestling, but specifically wrestling was even more difficult for me. I I just found it to be so grueling, but I loved it. Something about it. Loved it. Like tearing, (laughs) like challenging myself physically made me mentally stronger. Um, And so, so yeah, I, uh, I guess I was just, I found my other niche. I, I had a good time. I loved high school. High school was some of like many other people, some of your most cherished years. Um and that's another reason I made a high school movie, right? Like I've always wanted to tell something from those years. Um but yeah, it it inspired me to make a movie and really kind of capture a piece of me in that movie. Well it you know and and I I never knew that you
2: that you went to the USC film 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 school. And so when I when I read that I was like okay, someone just doesn't, like their junior year, say, hey, I want to get into cinema. And then say, hey, I got the grades. I'm going to go to the USC film school. <laughs> you, you don't, you know, people don't do that. So, so what, how were you able to balance this while at the same time going, you know, you were shooting for one of the most difficult film schools <laughs> in the world to
1: get into? Yeah, yeah, it was actually really difficult. As a matter of fact, I got rejected as a freshman, I, you have to apply, uh, do a supplemental application for USC film school. Yes. So you, you do the general USC application and then this uh, supplemental creative portfolio and writing samples and mission statement. And I got rejected, but they accepted me as uh, undeclared. So I'm like, Cool, let's go. I'm in, and I I was just taking all the classes like I was a film major, you know, intro to cinema and all, all this stuff. And I applied again, uh second semester. I'm like, okay, let's just get in. And I got rejected again. So, yeah. By this time, I, my counselor called me and she's like, hey, you're taking all these film classes. Like, you know, there's a possibility you don't get in because it's hard to get in, right? The percentages are low. I'm like, so, so you should change your major. I'm like, you're asking me to change like, my passion, like, change what I want to do for the rest of my life. And I'm like, I'm just, you know, I'm like, let me me try again. Let me just try again. So third time is the charm. And I got in the third time. I was a sophomore. um, And luckily, because I was taking all the film classes, I I stayed on course. I was able to graduate in four years. It's like I I didn't skip a beat. I just was considered undeclared for my full freshman year. But I got in by the third application. In terms of managing it, it was difficult. I think uh, the transition from... Royal High School in El Monte to USC. I've never read so much in my life, so many books and pages of essays. It was it was super. It was really difficult. Um, the sports thing, I think once you make it a part of your life, like a habit, like working out in the morning. Some people it could be a chore. We're like, oh man, I gotta work out. But it, <laughs> Fred. Come on, Brad. You got, a, you got a, a nice hoodie sweater. You look like you're a, you're a sporty guy. <laughs> but, but, you know, there's some things you do that are automatic. Brush your teeth. Uh, you know, it's just like it's part of your day. What if working out is part of your day? It's just automatic. I got to do it no matter what. You'll make time for it. Um, so I made sports part of my, like, schedule, part of my functioning. Like, I go to school and I do sports and it's just part of what I do and I have to make it work so um and it wasn't it was never really an option about doing it or not it just I wanted to do it I felt like it was it it was part of me already so ingrained that that I needed to do it so and it was difficult too because athletically I was uh, I was low tier I I was a walk-on at USC. I was I was a good high school athlete but I I, I wasn't like a scholarship athlete, so once I went to school and I was you know fast enough to hang in there. It's NCAA Division One, like I'm. I was like at the back of the pack, even though first lap I might be in the front. <laughs> I was uh, towards the back of the pack, so that never daunted me though. I, I think being part of a team and pushing myself to be faster. Um, I think it daunted by getting like finishing in tenth or fifteenth or whatever. It, it was a uh, that's the thing about running. Like you set your personal goals, right? Like someone could run a marathon in four hours and be stoked. Like, yes, I ran in four hours. Someone could run it in two thirty and be disappointed. You know, everyone has their own standards for, for a success. But then what were your, what I, were your track events over at USC? At, at USC, I ran the 3000 steeplechase, uh, which is actually considered one of the hardest events in all track and field. That one and the 400 hurdles, the fact of that you're, Jumping in the middle of running at a pretty hard effort uh, makes it really difficult. Um, again, I, I want to say I chose that because I knew that it took a, a mental edge. Uh, oh, right. It, it takes a it yeah, takes a particular. You could be a someone that was a better. Many people were better distance runners than me. Tried the event, and because of the toll it takes on you and the the, the I don't know the, the dynamics of the event. Uh, I was faster than them in that event. Right, three thousand flat. They beat me three thousand steeple chase. I'd beat them. It's like what, but um, there's the dynamics of it requires a mental fortitude where, uh, pain is is more constant and at a higher threshold than distance running. Distance running, you 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 fall into a rhythm a lot. You get into this rhythm, especially for distance running. And you have to be able to sustain a certain threshold of pain, very minor till till the later stages. Uh, but steeplechase is is kind of carried through through the whole. Seven and a half laps.
0: What is the steeple chase? Because I don't know what
1: that it, is. It's the it's the one where you jump over like this this very stiff <laughs> hurdle. Uh, but there's one water jump also. Have you seen that water jump? There's a hurdle and then there's a water pit. That's that's the that's the steeple chase. Yeah. Um, that sounds so kind of fun. <laughs> the difference from the hurdle is the steeple doesn't fall over. It's mm-hmm. built like yeah. built like a fence. You hit it, you're gonna fall <laughs> over, and that thing will not budge. Um, so that's another dangerous part of it too, um, that, that you can you know, people hit the hurdles all the time and just, they, they fall over. Mm -hmm. Uh, This one does not. Well, you were, you were talking, you know, both about your,
2: um, high school years and then your college years and then your track years about having this mental fortitude. Um, and then in your biography, you were, you were talking about how, and we're shifting back to varsity punks, how, um, how you went across the country in, in order to get this thing
1: out there. So, so, so tell us about that. Yeah. So, you know, being an independent artist, you reach a certain point where if you're a musician, you sign on a record, right. And you, comp- you make compromises to, to take that next step. Uh, and same thing in filmmaking, it's just getting a distributor for your movie. Cause you can be an indie, indie filmmaker and you're doing everything on, like non-union or whatever. But at a certain point, you need a company to put your movie out on platforms, out on, out on the theater, out on the, the channels and stuff. So you got to sign a distributor. Um, this is where they you make a deal that usually they have all the leverage on it. Distrib- artists don't have a lot of leverage when it comes to that point, which kind of sucks. So you get to a point of where you have like power, right? Um, so I wanted to keep doing the indie route. I said, let me keep doing indie. Let me self-distribute just like a writer would self-publish, right? Instead of going with a publisher and getting some kind of weird contract where you're gonna get like a few pennies per book, you're gonna self-publish and you keep 100% of every book, right? Same same situation with, with that. Um, and so I wanted to try it and I took a big loan out. It was a, a, like another one, right? On top of whatever I had. Because <laughs> I really believed in it. I thought, I'm like, I wanna do something crazy here. I'm gonna go on the road for 30 days Book all these independent theaters. There's a lot of old little theaters, like art houses, all across the country. And not even that, there's there's movie palaces. Because, um, you know, now it's all corporate, like uh, AMC, Edwards, right? Harkins. Those are the, the main chains that everybody goes to. But there's these movie palaces that were built in the 30s, 40s, and they don't wow. show movies anymore. I, I was able to rent those places for so cheap. Because they don't do anything, they're pretty much like historical places. But they got a screen and they got a projector. Um, so, like some of these places, it was it was silly. There'd be like thirty people sitting in a five hundred seat theater. <laughs> it would look like, it just looked it looked kind of sad, but it it wasn't, you know. Um, but yeah, just booking these and trying to capture everything on social media so that some point people will talk about it. It would be on the on the news media, maybe on IndieWire and some magazines, and and we would blow up and get the, the, the PR we wanted, but it never did. It never made that big splash. I think I, I made a splash within my people and I, I grew in followers and I had little successes, but for the most part, um, it was, uh, I mean, I don't, I don't want to say it was a, a failed idea, but it was, it didn't reach what I wanted to do with it. But it was, I mean, these are difficult things to do. It's just, you got to be a risk taker. You got to be a gambler for sure to be an independent um, artist and, uh, because you gotta like live with being outside of your comfort zone constantly, and that's why most people are not cut out for being independent filmmakers. They'll they'll go safer routes um, where they're no longer in creative control. I still have creative control, so um, the sacrifices I sacrifice stability <laughs> uh, for for control and challenges. I guess I like the of Every day I wake up and it's like, okay, what's going to happen today? It's new challenges every day.
0: Yeah, so then, I, think, I think you're right about the um, like the stability and the financial risk. I think a lot more people would take that risk if they didn't need the stability, right? If they didn't feel like they had to yeah. personally mm-hmm. put themselves out there for a financial risk. But I really like that idea of taking these little... You know, non used theaters. like, because I'm just I I like old stuff, right? I like old things, I like the cute little charm. And so um, you know, seeing a movie in an old theater like that would be just really appealing to me. I'm wondering how you promoted it in these communities where these theaters existed, you know, where you had people. Yeah, doing so
1: that. our first step was um picking the locations where we already had like a built-in fan base, at least a little bit. I kind of um, just broke down my social media analytics, and I figured out where all my, where all our, our followers were. And so wherever we had like little pockets of people, that's where we chose cities. Um, so I I'd hit them up directly. I mean, it could be like a 16 year old kid who was a big fan of R.C. punks, is like, hey man, would your cross country team want to come watch this? You know, or or it could be a coach or just you know a random people. So uh, personal connections, social media. Um, constantly uh, capturing stories so people could share it and then grassroots like we put up flyers on telephone poles and you know (laughs) college campuses like like we'd be walking around a college campus and handing out flyers and stuff like that so it was a little bit of everything it was old school and new school um just to see what sticks because again it's like I don't know if anyone had ever I mean had done that where where you don't know what works there's no formula for it you know and even if someone had done it, every every project is unique in its own way. So, so we had hit and misses. We had some success uh, screenings, and we had some that were complete misses. Um, uh, but yeah, that was uh, old school and new school marketing. <laughs> now,
2: now Anthony, couple couple questions. One, um, what did you learn about yourself during this you know during this time of traveling? And then the second part, what were some of the more um, funny stories that, that, that you could share? Yeah. So about, about, uh, about your group or, or
1: about stuff, stuff that you, that you saw out there. Yeah. I'll start with that part of the question first, because what I learned about myself, that's some deep stuff, Fred. <laughs> Let me think about that. <laughs> but um, in terms of stories, you know what? Like one of the biggest screenings we had was Iron in Ohio, like population of like 8,000 people it's uh, on the borderline of like um, Ohio and West Virginia. Uh, So very, very uh, probably conservative, right? We never talked politics. We connected them. We connected and we were, we were friends on, on a certain on with the common denominator of running of cross country running, you know? Um, And they're all white, you know? Um, Where was this? Ironton, Ohio. Oh, little town, little town, Ironton, Ohio. So, um, you know, it's just this is specifically because, you know, the media likes to say, like, oh, this this content is like Latino content. Like, you're going to pitch it to Latinos, maybe. The... No, but this is like the widest. Could... This is the other extreme, right? Like, if I had to pinpoint a market of what would be the extreme of like LA, Sangiro Valley, Latino people that know me, I'd be like, well, probably some Midwest, small town. Right, (laughs) that's them, and they loved us. We had the biggest support from them. They created an event out of it. They invited the whole town for it. They they honored us with like they made shirts um of Varsity punks, you know, for us. Like that's cool. Yeah, and this was like on the brink of all the political stuff that was happening, you know, um, in like Virginia and all this stuff where, um, you know, with the Trump with like when with, with Trump's involvement and stuff where things got heated, this was on the brink of it or right before it. So this is like really opened up my mind on how, I don't know. I, it's cause there was so much heat being, let's, let's say you're a liberal or a progressive uh, uh, like label. And, um, and there's uh, people were arguing even on different ways to fight the cause or fight injustice or, um, and, or discrimination, whatever. But here I am connecting with people that are probably on that stance, and and connecting on something like we're so similar. We're just so similar on that, and um, and like I guess it opened my mind that on not being um, identified, not being identified by just your by simple things like political views or or stuff like that. Like it doesn't define you. It doesn't define who you are. But now it, it has come to be that. It has come to be where a lot of people are like, well, you believe that? Well, there we, we just can't be friends. Or I can't hear you out. or Yeah. You know, I, I just saw it like firsthand in, in a way where I felt these people that way. I'm not going to. And we they didn't turn their backs on me. I didn't turn their backs on them. We just never thought. We connected on something else. But, you know, there's think, so many things that define us.
0: Yeah, um, you make you make a good point. I think what you and these people connected on was similarities, right? focusing mm-hmm. on what we both like what we both value what we both see um rather than differences and i think that's maybe that missing link with just connecting with people and and hearing people right now that's that's cool i'm from the midwest so i i'm like can totally envision this this you know environment <laughs> this town like rallying around you like it just seems super you know familiar to me i I love that i could see you know like high school kids being like let's make t-shirts and everybody go um you know it's got it's it's got its perks and it's you know definitely has its drawbacks but that's kind of cool um you're also involved in promoting high school cross country and track on social media what is it about youth sports that takes you to multiple events in a given weekend
1: well, I was. I'm a little bit less now, but more so it was during the promotion of the movie. Um, but it very it definitely was organic. I love being in those places. Um, it's not only because I was part of it that I, I fell in love with it. So my heart still kind of belongs to that that circle that sport. Um, but I, I guess that's what it is. It's just being having a love for for youth sports. There's still, there's still an innocence to it. Uh, the self discovery of kids to find out talents that you have, and you know, like hey, like you could be this kid who's never been had a medal or never been good the best at anything, right? And he's ninety pounds. And like, hey, you know, you can be a champion at some you know, like wow, like you can be a, a champion that some people aren't even aware of that. And so they discover things in high school sports that'll change them forever. And then the friendships that they make. So all that stuff is just it's just like it hits me right here. it's hits me in my heart where where I, I think there's there's so much richness to to capture in, in that team.
0: Yeah, I think um, what I heard you say earlier too was, you know, you were a walk on at USC and you just wanted to be part of a team. You mm-hmm. know, even and everybody's goals are differently, and I think I think that is a, a human characteristic that everybody just wants to be part of something, part of a team, um, and being part of a cross country team. I feel like has a little bit more of a family feel than maybe, you know, other teams where you really have to be, you know, fit this certain mold. Like you know, a football player, right, it has to fit a certain mold. It seems so. Um, I yeah. really, I like that.
1: Yeah, they're they're definitely all different, and they're dictated by the coach. I think any mm-hmm. any coach can make any sport seem like a family. Yeah. And then, and any coach can also just make a sport really bad. So. That's true. So, yeah i think that's what's that's what's really true is that you could be
2: this this you know 90 pound kid and flourish in wrestling you could be a state champ um you don't you don't you know you don't you don't need to be a 180 pound 102 like 240 pound yeah
1: like like the look of, of of a champion whatever people think if you look up champion in the dictionary and there's like above, is like, nope. This guy is a champion. at the sport that he does, he's the best in the state. You know, you could say that. That's yeah. I love that.
2: I yeah. love that concept. Um, one of the things that that I was asked to ask you because I because I told some friends, hey, I'm um, Anthony's. You know, Anthony's going to be on, and yes, you do have a lot of followers. You know, <laughs> you know, and and one of the one of the questions asked was, what are those? What are those things that that the common person doesn't know about? Cinema, you know, what are those secrets, if any, that are that are that are out there? Um, you know, kind of those behind the things, you know, the behind the scene types of things that the that the common person doesn't know about movie
1: making. Um, I guess it would be more about the filmmakers themselves. Um, I just wasn't aware of the again the the toll that it takes on somebody to to actually be a successful filmmaker, artist, tour. Because, you know, you see it as entertainment. You can see it as entertainment, right? It's entertaining. These people make money. They're in there for the fame. You see them on red carpets and stuff. That's all that showy stuff. A lot of people are in it for that. But I guess I think a lot of people sometimes don't see the, uh, like the dedication, the passion, and the sacrifices um, that it took for some of these people. Some of these people to get there, and, and, you know, what, not only that, I want to say probably the the personal statements that artists are making in their movies that are, I was talking earlier about subtext, like entertaining, but you have this subtext in there that a lot of times these movies, it could be about like elves or dragons and stuff like, oh, it's fiction. It's it's not real, right? people Some people will regard documentary or, uh, or real life stories as more important, let's say, or more relevant than this fictional story but that fictional story is is technically just a vehicle for something very real something more real perhaps and sometimes a way to convey a, a certain truth a certain truth about a concept about love about family about jealousy about whatever that truth might be best conveyed through this fictional you know story this decorated story so I think a lot of sometimes some people don't um uh, might not find subtext in movies, um, like the common. But it, but it's it's. I think it's good to look deeper, especially the good filmmakers, right? Because there's there's garbage out there that's also made for the money, right? But but a lot of times, uh, yeah, filmmakers have a lot of subtext in there. A lot of things that they're saying that they got to get off their chest because that's what that's why I do it. I think um, a director, somebody is somebody that has a, a vision, something to say to the world. Um, Maybe not necessarily about themselves, but it's very, very personal. And they're saying it to the world in a in a yeah. very creative way. Um, so yeah. so th- what are you doing now to to keep those creative juices going? Um, right, right now, I'm just trying to create a viable career. <laughs> yeah. All right. So <laughs> I got to balance both the passion, the whole, I want to do this for a living. You know, the passion, the fun part of it. And the whole, I can pay my bills and keep doing this for a living. It's important. And some people get hung up on the whole, like, oh, I'm an artist. Like, I I'm not going to think about that money part. Like, no, it's important because I didn't get into this to keep it as a hobby. Like, it's not sustainable. I'll just do it for a few years if that's the case. I want to be able to make a living. It's important that I get paid and it's important that we make profits and stuff like that. So so at this point, I'm just trying to uh, get enough work doing creative content doing what my skills are because i had i've had so many like substitute teaching i do taxes during the tax season but these aren't things that are that are fueling my my creative appetite right um so i want to be able to uh and i am i've done little documentaries little commercials little music videos on the last year or two um since varsity punks i hope i get more of them and i hope they pay a little bit more so that I can gear up for my next movie and my next show, because that's the goal. The goal is do another movie, do another show, something very personal. But the process takes years, and so in the meantime, what are you going to do? Like you can't just just write every day without income. So, yeah. so that's what I'm trying to do right now, and, and that just that keeps my creative juices flowing. Just being um, working on creative projects, anything.
0: Um, there's a huge shortage of substitute teachers right now. So that's probably I a viable know. position. Yeah, and I would imagine you'd get a lot of, like, fodder for your writing by being a substitute teacher. Does that... You know, I, that I've happened? been
1: subbing for, like, 14 years or whatever, for a while. And um, during COVID, I think I left it because, uh, I, I, I don't know, I, I, I think multiple reasons. Number one, they weren't calling me as much and I had to, like, do some training, COVID training. I'm like, you know what, I think it's my time to leave um, and I wanted to force myself out of my comfort zone. Like I said, I had a, all these jobs, and creative uh, being creative was like a hobby almost. Like I was doing that when I had time. So to force myself out of it, I, I resigned from subbing, and here I am now hearing that like there's a shortage and that they're paying more. I'm like, I think I'm gonna get back on the, well, the, well, the, the list.
2: Not just that, but maybe maybe go back and get a get your
1: certification in theater. And teach? Yeah. You know yeah. what? I, I I rather sub than teaching because uh, then I think I I've given up on the dream. The dream. No, no. You can do both. It's hard. Who's? I don't know anyone who's to to really chase a successful, a creative it. career. Like if I'm going to teach, I'm going to do it well, Fred. I I want to do it well. It's an, it's a reason that I don't coach too, because um, it's not about like oh, I love running and love being around kids. But if I'm going to coach, I'm going to do it well, and I'm going to be so involved. And the hours that you put in are going to be way in above you ever expected. Um, so if I'm going to teach, I want to be a really good teacher. I want to be that one who's involved and does all the fun stuff, and 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 I'm going to make the other thing secondary. That's how I'm going to approach it. Otherwise, I'm going to be a crappy teacher who's doing the bare minimum and just kind of getting paid. There, there's no, there's no, there's no half.
2: Yeah. One
1: will take back seat. And if I teach full time, sure. the creative career will eventually become the. Well, I'm comfortable now. I good. I I got my steady paycheck. I've done this. I'll reach a point where, like, well, at least I did varsity punks, you know. <laughs> so, I I want to keep uh, I want to keep at it, but I want to I want to keep being uh, <laughs> keep going for it.
0: I think one thing that you've shown just in your experiences and just in your pursuit for your dream is your tenacity. You know, applying three times to film school and walking onto the you know the cross country team. I think. Yeah, I 100% agree. We don't we don't need subpar teachers out there. I think um, with your energy and your outlook on life, you are a great substitute teacher. You know, because there are some substitute teachers who just go in there and you know sit behind the desk and just mm-hmm. are the babysitter for the day. Mm-hmm. Um, and we don't we don't need that either. Mm-hmm. Um, with your film experience, sub sub experience, what would you share? to aspiring uh, cinematic high school or college students? What would you be your advice to them?
1: Um, a couple things. Uh, definitely cre- create as much as you can as early as you can and with whatever technology that you have. Sometimes people get caught up with um, the technology, the, the right camera or the right crew. It's, it's not about that. Just um, telling stories. You're going to get better at what you do, at the craft of storytelling. So just creating content is early and as often as you can is definitely a a plus. Um, I think people get daunted with putting out their work. Like, ooh, the world's finally going to see what I got. And they'll wait on that. They'll wait on that. And maybe they're going to realize that they suck at it or that it's not meant for them. So if anything, it's better to find out now. But not only for that reason, because they're going to get better. Um, And then networking's big. I think uh, even though I'm a very social person, I don't know if I networked right. I always thought there was this, I always had this like, like stigma about like, Oh, I'm schmoozy and I'm going to these events just to like network and just talk. Cause that's what it seemed like. It just seems so like fake and, and everyone's so interested, but I should have done more of that. I should have. It's, it's so important and you got to look beyond that. You got to look, you got to like check your ego, you know, um, and be like, no, this is, this is part of the game that you're playing and, yeah, you're you're talking to people just because you want to see if at some point they'll put you on their crew or whatever. But everyone's doing that, and that's and you're gonna make friends out of it too in the process. And I think uh, I held back a lot um, after, during film school. After film school, I was making friends, a lot of friends, social, but not not with that networking mentality. And I wish I would have done that more. I think I would have would have uh, accelerated where where I'm at. Uh, earlier on, because I found myself making a movie that I didn't have any connections in the industry, um, I hired all my friends. <laughs> I hired all my friends who are non-industry people, but it, it would have been good to have like, oh, okay, I know a bunch of guys who are this and some producers, a couple of distributors, some agents. It, it would have helped me a lot. So that's definitely a big plus to to network uh, a lot.
2: Now, along along with that, what what would you tell fifteen year old
1: Anthony? <laughs> what i tell 15 year old anthony that's a good one i saw that i saw that question i'm like oh um that's probably the hardest one because i don't have any regrets i mean besides the advice that i just said that i would give myself that advice network more and create more um and that's a tough one fred why you gotta give me that tough? all right man that's like what your freshman year freshman year freshman sophomore year um I don't. I. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe part of it is that uh, that I like where where I'm at. As much as I find it difficult, <laughs> like I, I just like where I'm at. I guess. Yeah,
0: it's all um, part of the journey, right? Like each each day, yeah. each experience allows mm-hmm. you to, you know, be more prepared for the next. And mm-hmm. uh, I think those two questions do definitely tie into each other. Like you're saying, you you would have networked more and and maybe hired other people in the, in the industry. Yeah. But now, you know, and, and now you can still do that. You
1: can still work towards that, right? Like, yeah, yeah. The beauty about yeah. learning. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So that I would give them that advice about networking mm-hmm. more and, and just creating more early on.
2: Yeah. But,
1: but I don't know if I have a, a main message. I'm, I'm probably going to think of one after this podcast is done. Of course. Like, Gosh. Yeah. <laughs> <Sorry about that. laughs>
0: yeah. And, the the one thing that we as we wrap this up that we like to ask our guests to are what's your call to action so if you have one takeaway that you would like to share with listeners and as we mentioned before we started recording our listeners tend to be aspiring teachers students uh, researchers people looking you know at social justice so what is your call to action
1: Uh, my call to action for people or for myself either oh um my call to action you guys saved the good ones for last time yeah
0: (laughs) they like to stump our our listeners and this Um, can have a double entendre too right because you know as a director you can say action right
1: yeah (laughs) what do you want to see yeah definitely um I mean as a personal call to action um give voice to the voiceless like celebrate the uncelebrated like that's it's what drives me. Um, it's the stories. It drives the types of stories that I want. But it's all. It also kind of dictates who I work with, and it, it has such a big, you know, I don't know, if, like influence on a lot of things I do.
0: Yeah. So I like that. That's yeah. really good. That's a good message, right? <laughs> well, Anthony, thanks so much for your um, insight and your experiences today, sharing them with us. Thanks for your passion and your tenacity. It's a really good model for a lot of. Um, you know aspiring people you know chasing their dreams to to look towards so I appreciate that so thank you today
1: thank you thank you guys for having me bye guys